Greetings and welcome to another episode of From John to Justin, where I started out looking at every Prime Minister in Canadian history, and we're right in the middle of every opposition leader who never became Prime Minister, but we took a break from that, because an election was called. So right now I'm doing 36 election episodes in a row, to coincide with our 36 day election period. If you want to support the podcast, you can, for as little as $3 a month. Just go to patreon.com slash CanadaEHX. You can also donate to the podcast by going to CanadaEHX.com and clicking donate. Don't forget, I have three other podcasts out there. Canadian History X, which releases every Wednesday and Saturday. Canada's Great War, which releases every single Sunday. And Coast to Coast, which releases every single Thursday. I do all of these full-time. The writing, the research, everything. I do it every day, all day. And it's a lot of work. So, any dollars you give help keep it all going, and I'll make sure to thank you on the air and throughout my social media. If you like, you can email me at craig at canadaehx.com. You can find me on Twitter. My handle is Craig Baird, C-R-A-I-G-B-A-I-R-D, and I'm on Instagram at Bairdo37. Before I start, I want to mention that this will be a bit more condensed than usual. I had my third shot of the vaccine because my first shot was AstraZeneca, so I qualified for a third shot so that I could have two Moderna, and it kind of hit me a bit hard, just like my second shot did. And that meant that I kind of had to condense my research a bit because I wasn't feeling great. So while I do cover quite a few things, there might be a few things I gloss over, and I apologize. So, so let's get right to the episode. After almost 13 years of Liberals in power, 2006 came along and it would appear that the Canadian public was ready for a change. Unlike every election since 1984, this was not called by a Prime Minister, but through a vote of no confidence, the first time this had happened since the days of Joe Clark in 1980. The vote occurred on November 28, 2005 when the three opposition parties joined together, claiming that the Martin government was corrupt, joining together to bring the government down. This would produce a winter election, with the election date set for February 13th. The election campaign would be eight weeks long, making it the longest in 20 years in order to allow for time for Christmas and New Year's. Harper would say upon the fall of the government, quote, This is not just the end of a tired, directionless, scandal-plagued government. It is the start of a bright new future for this great country. End quote. Gilles Duceppe would also criticize the Liberal government, stating, quote, This is a historic moment. Tonight we are judging the Liberal Party, a corrupt Liberal Party. They use our money to try to buy our own votes in Quebec. They did not learn anything from what they did with ad scam because they have done the same thing over the last two weeks with taxpayers' money to try and buy votes all around. End quote. It was, of course, on the slipperiest, slushiest, iciest day of the season in Ottawa that a winter election suddenly became a reality. Inside the House of Commons, history was being made. Just 17 months into Paul Martin's first elected government, and it was set to become Canada's first ever federal government to fall on a simple vote of no confidence from the opposition. The end came quickly. That this House has lost confidence in the government. Mr. Harper, Mr. Harper, Mr. Deceptive, Mr. Layton, Mr. Layton. Martin, of course, voted against the motion. But in the end, it wasn't even close. Martin's minority Liberals had lost. Yes, pour 171, 171, nays contre, 133, The voting date will be announced tomorrow, but it's expected to be January 23rd, allowing candidates to break for the holidays. It's been 25 years since Canada had a winter election. Recall Trudeau beating Clark in 1980. 
But does this one come as a surprise? Not really. All four major parties have been building to it for weeks. Earlier today, they underlined what they'll want voters to think about in what's expected to be a bitter, nasty, eight-week campaign. For Liberals, it's the economy. The best fiscal record of any Canadian government since 1867. For Conservatives, it's that Liberals are overspenders who can't be trusted. Does the Prime Minister really believe that rushing money out the door on the eve of an election will distract Canadians away from his Liberal government's sordid record of waste mismanagement? Likewise, on the integrity front from the Bloc in Quebec, and expect the NDP to suggest more of their MPs would improve the tone of Parliament. The sponsorship scandal was not going away as well, and the Gomery Commission would weaken the support of the Liberals even further from what it was just a few years previous. On November 1, 2005, the first report was released, and its findings found that there was a culture of entitlement within the Liberal government. Martin could have delayed calling an election until 2009 legally, but he stated that he would dissolve Parliament in April of 2005, which would be within a month of the second report coming out. Instead, the government fell months earlier on a vote of 171 to 133. It was the hope of Martin and the Liberals that the party would recapture a majority government as the party had from 1993 to 2004, and at the start of the campaign it actually did look like the Liberals might pull off a majority government. The Conservatives would spend the first month of the campaign releasing a policy per day, including reducing the GST and implementing a child care allowance. The Liberals would not make any campaign announcements until after Christmas, which would result in the Conservatives dominating the election coverage during that month. The Liberals were further hurt by a tragic shooting in Toronto in December that allowed the Conservatives to push their crime prevention aspect of their platform. On December 27, 2005, the Liberal Party would be hit with bad news in the media when the RCMP announced it was investigating insider trading claims in the Office of Finance Minister Ralph Goodale. In the end, the RCMP found no evidence of wrongdoing or criminal activity, but the story dominated the newspapers for several weeks and significantly hurt the Liberal Party in the polls. The NDP campaign would focus on not winning the election completely, but on holding a balance of power with the Conservatives or Liberals, whoever won the election with likely a minority government. The Bloc Québécois had surged ahead in the 2004 election, and the hope was that the party would gain more power and even become the official opposition as it had been after the 1993 election. In the January 23, 2006 election, the Liberal government would lose for the first time since the days of Brian Mulroney and Stephen Harper, and Stephen Harper became the new Prime Minister of Canada. The Conservatives gained 26 seats to finish with 124, while the Liberals lost 30 seats finishing with 103. The Bloc Québécois would lose two seats to fall to 51, while the NDP did very well, gaining 11 seats to finish with 29. The Conservatives would win the majority of seats across the Canadian West, including all 28 seats in Alberta and 12 of 14 in Saskatchewan. The Liberals still won more seats in Ontario, winning 54, but the Conservatives would make huge inroads with 40 seats, while the NDP picked up 12. In Quebec, the Conservatives, for the first time since the days of Brian Mulroney, won several seats in Quebec, picking up 10. The bloc would win 51 while the Liberals won 13. In the Maritime, seats were mostly split evenly, except in Prince Edward Island, where the Liberals won every seat. Upon the election win, Harper would state, quote, We will honour your trust. We will deliver. We came together as a party, and now we will govern for all Canadians. End quote. Martin would state, upon his loss as Prime Minister, quote, It has been a tough night. End quote. Martin would step down as leader soon after the election loss. 
But we begin with the next Prime Minister. In just 18 months, Stephen Harper has pulled off a major political victory. He convinced Canadians they needed a change. But now he finds himself in the same precarious minority position as his predecessor. Terry Malefsky reports. Now what? After finally fighting his way to the top, Stephen Harper is stuck with a pizza parliament which he cannot control. Needing time to think, Harper said he won't hold a press conference until Thursday, but in a statement as he arrived in Ottawa, he put the best face on his plate. With his wife Laureen, son Ben and daughter Rachel alongside, Harper acted like things couldn't be better. Uh, we had a good sleep, the family's excited, we're all uh, feeling pretty, pretty upbeat as you can imagine. Uh, this morning, our transition team began its work. The transition team will be headed by former uh, Canadian ambassador Derek Burney. But Derek Burney, a highly regarded figure in Ottawa, has the easy job, working out how the transition will work, likely within a couple of weeks. But how to govern, that's something else. After all, amid last night's euphoria, Harper had brave words about doing what he promised. We will deliver on our commitments. But that's easier said than done. As Harper headed straight to his office for meetings, one top priority looked doable, an act to tighten up government ethics, which has wide support. But beyond that, who knows what the new parliament will agree to. And I think Canadians want it to work, uh, which probably means freer voting, uh, less intense uh, partisan uh, discipline, uh, uh, allowing temporary coalitions to form to get things done and crossover voting. And don't forget that big, expensive promise that Harper made to the provinces. Fiscal imbalance. Fiscal imbalance. Fiscal imbalance. Now the premiers want to collect. It's going to be a, a difficult item to uh, negotiate and to work on, but there's a clear commitment from the, the new prime minister to, to deal with that, a commitment that we did not have from the liberal prime minister. You can see why Stephen Harper wasn't too keen to take questions on what exactly he's going to get done. Truth is, nobody knows. But two things in his favor. Number one, the Liberals are going to be tied up looking for a new leader. And number two, nobody's going to be in a hurry to bring down the government and get the blame for causing another election. With this election win, the Conservatives had won the smallest minority government in Canadian history in terms of proportion of seats. With such a small minority government, it was only a matter of time before another election would be triggered. Minority governments tend not to last long, with an average of one year, five months, 22 days. On February 15, 2007, it was reported that the Conservatives were preparing for another election after the budget was released in March. At the time, the Conservatives were and the new Liberal leader, Stéphane Dion, was not polling well. No election would happen, of course, that year, but by August 14, 2008, Harper would state that Parliament had become dysfunctional. He would state, quote, I'm going to have to make a judgment in the next little while as to whether or not this Parliament can function productively, end quote. The Conservatives would survive several no-confidence votes. The NDP and Bloc usually voted against the Conservatives, while the Liberals did or did not attend the vote. Finally, on September 7, 2008, Parliament was dissolved and an election was called. This election would be the first in which social media would play a major role. One Facebook group called Anti-Harper Vote Swap Canada gained press for its call of eligible voters in different electoral districts, exchanging votes so that an opponent of the Conservative candidate would have a better chance of being elected. This practice is legal according to Elections Canada. Strategic voting was widely used in this election. This method involves elections with two or more candidates in a riding 
when a voter supports another candidate more strongly than their typical preference in order to prevent an undesired outcome. In Newfoundland, popular Premier Danny Williams launched the Anything But Conservative campaign as a way to get voters in the province to prevent the Conservatives from gaining seats. It is estimated that the use of strategic voting may have taken as much as 72 seats away from the Conservatives in this election. Well, think of it as strategic voting for the internet age. These last few days of the campaign, the online buzz is all about how to make the most of your vote with the help of your fellow Canadians. Our web watcher, Susan Ormiston, explains. Susan. Peter, some websites are pushing vote swapping in tight ridings. Take Winnipeg South, for example, a squeaker in the last election. A conservative went to Ottawa, but he won by only 111 votes. And this time, some voters are dealing their votes to try to change that outcome. In Winnipeg, Dana Duick is an NDP supporter. I think Jack Layton's done an outstanding job. But she says she'll vote Liberal this time in a bid to topple the Conservative incumbent. She'll swap out her vote with someone else in Canada who'll vote NDP. When I found the, the vote swapping on the internet, I thought, wow, this is, this is a great opportunity. Uh, I know that this is how I need to vote. As polls show the election tightening up, vote swapping sites online are growing. This Facebook page has 5,000 voters signed up. People are giving us information saying, I am willing to vote this way. And then we put them in touch with somebody who's compatible with them. It's, it's like dating, but for elections. This site has attracted over 350,000 visitors, a protest against the Conservatives' environmental record. You can insert your postal code and find out how and where to potentially defeat them by voting strategically. I think it may actually turn elections around, if not this election, maybe the next one, when people really get the hang of how to do it. That's what it is. It's incredibly legal. The broad online movement is another way of redistributing votes. It's a twist, which I find very interesting, which makes people think about representation. Back in 2004, the Liberals benefited from a shift during the last weekend before the vote. Pollsters attributed that to strategic voting. It was a massive headache for pollsters, and I'm afraid to say that this could be an even bigger headache, maybe even a migraine for pollsters, if this phenomenon really catches. Now, the wild card is you can't know for sure whether your online partner keeps a promise to vote strategically. But if you're inclined, the Internet has the tools to visit the swap shop. As soon as the writ was dropped, party leaders began attacking the Conservatives, most notably Dion, the leader of the Liberals. But it did go back on Dion, though. With English as his second language, he had difficulty at one campaign stop answering a question by an English reporter, requiring Dion to ask three times for him to repeat the question. Harper would attack this, stating, quote, When you're running a trillion and a half dollar economy, you don't get a chance to have do-overs over and over again. What this incident actually indicates very clearly is Mr. Dion and the Liberal Party really don't know what they would do on the economy. I don't think this is a question of language at all. The question was very clear. It was asked repeatedly, end quote. Dion, who had hearing issues, would state that Harper had no class. He would state, quote, Maybe it's because I have a hearing problem. Maybe because English is my second language, but I did not understand the question. End quote. Gilles Duceppe would attack Harper over it, stating that many English-speaking politicians have little to no ability to speak French. Of course, Duceppe also attacked Dion over it, stating, quote, The real question is that I think Dion understood the question. 
The real problem wasn't the language, it was the substance. He had nothing to say. End quote. Leighton would defend Dion over it, stating that he struggled with questions too. Jean Chrétien and Paul Martin would also support Dion over the matter. Harper still remained more popular than Dion in Canada, polling at 51% compared to 42% for Dion. The main issue of the election would be the economy as the country was going through the Great Recession, and this hurt the Liberals who put their main emphasis on the environment. A total of 31% of Canadians put the economy as the main issue, compared to 15% from just two years previous. The environment, by comparison, registered at 9%. The NDP, which had previously campaigned as an alternative choice to the Liberals and the Conservatives without a plan to get elected, would shift gears this election and Jack Layden would state that he was campaigning for the position of Prime Minister. The election was also notable in that the Green Party, due to an MP crossing the floor earlier in Parliament, had a seat in the House of Commons. This would help the party under leader, Elizabeth May, get more exposure and participate in leaders' debates. The Conservatives, Bloc and NDP all opposed including the Green Party in the debates, citing the fact that May stated the best outcome for the election was a Liberal-led government. The Liberals and Greens also struck a deal in which the Liberals would not run a candidate in May's riding, and no Green Party member would run in Dion's riding. Harper and Layton stated they would not take part in the debate if May was in it, and Dion stated that if Harper was not in it, he would not be in the debate. The media consortium decided that the Green Party would be denied participation in the debate. This created a huge amount of backlash against Harper and Layton, and in the end, May would be allowed to participate. The debates would change in this election as well, with leaders not giving opening or closing statements, and rather than standing at podiums, each leader would sit around a table. In both debates, the leaders attacked Harper over his environmental record in the economy, while also comparing him to President George W. Bush. One notable part of the debate was when Harper stated that he erred in his support of Canadian participation in the 2003 U.S.-led invasion of Iraq. He would state, quote, It was absolutely an error. It's absolutely clear. End quote. It's been, uh, it means a lot of money. It means investment in Quebec. It means a sustainable development economy for Quebec. Let's get an answer, then we'll go to Mr. Lowe. Very, very simply, if I can just spend a moment on our plan, which is not to impose taxes on people. It is to make companies pay into a technology fund if they don't meet targets. In terms of, in terms of uh, provinces, we've been very clear. Every province can have its own implementation plan, provided the targets are at least as strong or stronger than the national targets. You can't have a target that's no, less that's than the national yeah, target. Not at all. I'm talking about the European approach. Yeah. The European Union had absolute targets for the old Europe. And then they gave each country a target based on what the efforts they made in the past. Recognizing the efforts, so those who made the efforts had well, to receive out. the benefit. E e it's quite different. The, the, quite no, different. The, efforts, the efforts made in the past are part of the factors that are considered in the, no, in the, the, develop in the developing of targets. Okay, thank you. Well, Jack Layton. Canadians Jack Layton. need to know very clearly that you, Mr. Harper, picked an approach to dealing with climate change that comes right out of the playbook of Exxon and George Bush. It's called intensity-based targets, a nice uh, neutral-sounding phrase. You know what it really means? It means that we can, companies like Exxon, who you gave a permit to in a matter of one week for a huge development in the tar sands, even though the environmental and health issues weren't dealt with, they can increase by multiple factors the number of barrels that they produce from those tar sands. And, and if, as long as they reduce the emissions per barrel a little bit, you're happy. Well, I'll tell you, Canadians aren't happy, next generations aren't happy, and you're throwing away the opportunity to force these companies to pay up for their pollution. There would also be some accusations of plagiarism during this election. 
On September 30th, Bob Ray of the Liberal Party stated that on March 20th, 2003, Harper had plagiarized a speech that called for troops to be deployed to Iraq, which was taken from a speech given by the Australian Prime Minister only two days previous. One Conservative spokesman would state, quote, I'm not going to get into a debate about a five-year-old speech that was delivered three parliaments ago, two elections ago, when the Prime Minister was the leader of a party that no longer exists, end quote. In the end, Owen Lippert, who wrote the speech, would apologize and resign over the issue. There were also several controversies in this election as well. One Conservative candidate, Chris Reid, resigned over statements he made advocating for the legalization of concealed carriage of handguns. Another candidate, Lawrence Cannon, was forced to apologize after Indigenous protesters were told they were free to meet with Cannon if they, quote, behave and you're sober and there's no problems and if you don't do a sit-down or whatever, end quote. It wouldn't just be the Conservatives who would be in hot water over statements by candidates. Simon Bedard, a Liberal candidate, was forced to resign after it was found in 1990 he stated lethal force should have been used against Indigenous protesters during the Oka crisis. Andrew McKeever, an NDP candidate, was forced to resign as well after making comments on Facebook calling a war activist a fascist, and I apologize for my language, bitch. Even the Green Party was in hot water when its candidate, John Shavluck, was revealed to have made comments on his blog in which he called the World Trade Center, quote, the shoddily built Jewish World Bank headquarters, end quote. In the October 14, 2008 election, Stephen Harper's Conservatives would gain 16 seats to finish with 143, still 12 less than what was needed for a majority government. The Liberals would lose 18 seats to finish with 77, but still remain as the official opposition. The Bloc won 49 seats, and the NDP picked up 7 more seats to finish with 37. As for the Green Party, they would lose their only seat, and May would lose her bid for election to the House of Commons. Once again, the Conservatives would win most of the seats in the West, including 22 in British Columbia, 27 of 28 in Alberta, and 13 of 14 in Saskatchewan. In Ontario, the Conservatives won 51 seats compared to the 38 won by the Liberals and 17 by the NDP. In Quebec, the Bloc once again dominated with 49 seats compared to the 10 won by the Conservatives and 14 by the Liberals. While the Conservatives did well in the Maritimes, the anti-Conservative campaign in Newfoundland appeared to work with the Liberals taking six of seven seats and the Conservatives getting none. The election would see the lowest voter turnout in Canadian history with only 58.8% of eligible voters casting a ballot. Every party except the Green Party attracted less votes than in the 2006 election. One reason for this may have been the new rules implemented in 2007 that required all voters to show one or two pieces of identification to confirm their address, or be vouched for by another voter who was able to show such identification. This would result in homeless, transient, and student voters being unable to vote. At Dalhousie University, for example, two-thirds of voters were turned away. On December 1st, 2008, due to growing opposition dissatisfaction with the Conservatives, there was a danger of a no-confidence vote happening by December 8th. If the vote turned out to be successful, the Liberals pledged to govern as a coalition government with the NDP for 30 months, while the Bloc pledged to support it for 18 months. On December 4, 2008, the Governor-General granted the request of Harper to prorogue Parliament until January 26, 2009, thereby preventing a change in the government. And while many expected another quick election, it would be another three years until 2011 that Canada would once again go to the polls.
I hope you enjoyed that somewhat glossed over and condensed version of the 2006 and 2008 elections. Again, I apologize that I went through this one a bit quicker, but I wasn't feeling great and it was hard to concentrate on research. So again, I apologize. I might uh, expand on this episode uh, once the election is done. And tomorrow, I'm going to be looking at the 2011 election. We're almost done, folks. And I've been doing this every single day, 36 days straight, putting out an election episode all of those days. It's a lot of work, and I just want to say thank you to everybody who's donated to the podcast to help me keep this going. I really do appreciate it. And if you want to donate, just go to CanadaEHX.com and click Donate. If you like, you can email me at Craig at CanadaEHX.com. You can find me on Twitter. My handle is Craig Baird, C-R-A-I-G-B-A-I-R-D, and I'm on Instagram at Bairdo37. Again, if you like, you can support the podcast through Patreon. Just go to patreon.com slash CanadaEHX. You can support the podcast for as little as $3 a month. You can also donate to the podcast by going to CanadaEHX.com and clicking Donate. And I'd like to say thank you to all of my wonderful patrons. And if I mispronounce any names, I do apologize. Steve Pakin, Matthew Gartho, Lionel Romaine, Dr. Bob Turner, an anonymous patron that I truly do appreciate, Doug Campbell, Reg W, Deborah Carlson, Francis Helbling, Nick Zinri, Shannon Marshall, Clinton Martinez, Dimitri Chauve, Aaron O'Hara Myers, Robert Dunseith, Todd Casey, Catherine Roy, Luke Guess, J.P. Bear, Jason Hall, Phil Maynard, and Iris Gray. Information from Ottawa Citizen, Dynasties and Interludes, Canadian Encyclopedia, Wikipedia, Edmonton Journal, iPolitics, and CBC. Thanks. We'll see you again next time. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance (laughs) recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.